Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show, we look into what kind of boom do you get when property prices dip? Is there an historical story that could position someone to make money or not lose money as a consequence of knowing this information? Stephanie Davis of Wealthy will tell us something we don't know. We then meet Zelman Ainsworth of CBRE, who will tell us just how bad or good it is for retail properties right now. And then Paul Mirren of M Squared Capital will give us his coalface view on the market right now. Is it a dire place to be finding investors to invest in property or not? That's the show, so let's kick off with Stephanie Davis of Wealthy. investment director at Wealthy is going to tell us what the story is with house prices after we see a dip. What kind of boom results as a consequence of that? Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Peter. Great to join you. Yeah. Tell us what Wealthy does before we kick off. So Wealthy is a real estate investment platform that essentially uh, tailors property solutions to individual clients and helps them make a property plan within 60 seconds. Well, that's, that's pretty quick. All right, Stephanie, let's start moving through some of the information that you've been pouring over. Um, when we see a dip in the, sto in the property market, what's, mm -hmm. the, what's the, 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 the kind of boom that follows as a consequence of it? Well, we talk a lot about this at Wealthy Peter because we've been watching the market all year and we've been very optimistic about the COVID recovery and, and what we're going to see in the market post the coronavirus impacts on the real estate market. Um, and what we're seeing is that people are always disputing the demand in a, in a real estate market. Um, but what we're really focused on is the supply. So after the dip, we're gonna see um, a huge contraction of supply uh, and, and then we're gonna see the investors return to the market. Yeah, now it, why is that the case? Why will supply contracting induce investors to come back? So because supply is going to contract and have impact on the property prices, I think in terms of investors returning to the market, that is going to be, that's, that's a whole other topic that we can discuss as well. Um, but I think the real estate market prices are going to be impacted and influenced um, on, a, on a northern scale going up because of the supply. Um, and anecdotally, we've seen and are hearing how difficult it is for developers to keep their pipelines of supply up throughout, throughout 2020. We're hearing and seeing projects being held, um, construction being impacted, developer pipelines stalled. Um, and for example, I previously worked in site acquisitions for a development firm in Sydney, um, and we were working on a Sydney super tower under the new CSPS central planning scheme. And it was six months of just due diligence to get to an offer to purchase the site. And the site was gonna be a six year uh, project. So in terms of COVID hitting the market this year, we've seen so many developers stall their plans and put projects on hold, and that's gonna have a huge ripple effect into supply. Okay. so. You've talked about the supply of property. Mm -hmm. Some people will say the supply of buyers is going to be less because immigration is going to be less. Um, what's your, what fills the hole from the, the lack of immigrants that have been important for the real estate market? Yeah, that's such a great point, Peter, because the, the migration changes is going, to have, is going to have an influence. But what we are focusing on is the pent-up demand of buyers that haven't yet purchased over mm. the last two years. So 
Over the last two years, particularly, there's been huge impacts to both owner occupiers and investors in the market for two different reasons. For investors, we've had huge lending restrictions, um, which have held back investors from purchasing, particularly over the last two years to what we were seeing previously. And then in the owner occupier space, we're seeing a pent up demand of owner occupiers that haven't bought in the last 12 to 18 months for, for varying, um, varying reasons. But particularly I see the election last year held back a lot of purchases. Then we had the bushfires and then we had COVID hit. And for the last 12 months in the industry and from, from various leaders and some of the best agents in the country, all I've been hearing is, oh, we'll just get over this hump. We'll just get over this hump. And then the buyers will come back. The buyers will be come, coming back. And it's, it's been a waiting game, but it's been a waiting game for way too long. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying there's a whole lot of potential buyers who've been frustrated for a whole variety of reasons and eventually they're going to start going to auctions, start going to open houses and they're going to have a big impact on prices. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. And we've already seen it. Um, the auction clearance rates are coming up each, each week, particularly in New South Wales. It's the leading state at the moment. Uh, the market sentiment is certainly coming back through the media, but also on the ground, what we're seeing and hearing. Okay. Uh, you might know that I, I don't... Um, have great joy play, playing the devil and the devil's advocate. But you know, I have to ask this question because a lot of people watching this show, they love the devil. You know, they're, they're into the negativity aspect of the property market. And that question is, all right, you've got all, all these uh, people who really want to buy, they've had all these frustrations getting in their way. But what yeah. if, what if you know, the job keeper phasing out it ends up with a whole bunch of zombie businesses and effectively zombie employees and unemployment goes through the roof. Would that mean you'd have to temper your view in terms of your positivity about house prices in 2021? Well, look, Peter, it's one of those, it's one of those topics. It's a really good one because it's been on the mind of a lot of investors and landlords in the property market. From a rental point of view, landlords worried about what's going to happen and the impact of unemployment on their rents and on their investment properties, for example, mm. um, and also sellers. Do they sell their property? Is there going to be people in the market with money to buy? Mm. And so unemployment is undoubtedly going to be an issue moving forward over the next 12 months. But from what I am seeing and hearing, the government is very proactive about their stimulus and their recovery plan. And I think Josh Frydenberg's come out on, on a number of occasions over the last two weeks um, and made a real commitment to improving that and so I, I'm again quite quietly optimistic about uh, about where we're going to be sitting in terms of in terms of the next 12 months yeah, we've well, seen so many businesses pivot and benefit from from COVID this year and we've seen some businesses absolutely take off so I'm, I'm again very optimistic about the great Australian work ethic um, yeah. recovering over the next 12 months. Yeah I must admit I asked a question but I'm more publicly confident that we will see a pretty strong rebound uh, of the economy particularly in the second half. I think the second half actually we'll see a lot of um, strength coming to the economy and uh, the rise in unemployment will not be as great as the the doomsday um, uh, merchants are predicting. But here's another po uh, positive part to the story which you can't ignore. And I felt as though in one of your answers you were implying this. Uh, if the government gets the, the um, uh, parliament to agree to ending responsible lending, that also must be a plus for the property market. 
Yes, I think it, it definitely will be a plus because investors have really struggled to get credit and, and make their way into, into the property market over the last two years. Since the, since the Royal Banking Commission, the goalposts have changed and investors really need a break and I think that'll give them the break to get back into the market. Mm. And particularly when you throw in the unbelievably low interest rates, it's just a, like an, another uh, stimulus for the overall property sector, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The stimulus has been incredible this year. It's got a lot of first home buyers, but also home builders into the market, renovating, um, reviewing their property portfolios and quite actively looking at what they're doing. Um, and with low interest rates, with the, with the lending changing, I think it's only going to be positive for the property market going forward. We're seeing so many Australians staying home and not travelling to Europe this year um, and not going on their lavish holidays and a lot of those clients are coming to us at Wealthy with now very healthy house deposits. Yeah and, and are you seeing any trend in terms of interest of people who maybe once were looking to be more closer to the CBD now looking to move to the outer rings or even to the country on the basis that they will be able to work from home compared to what, how they used to work before coronavirus came to town? Yeah, that's a really good point, Peter. I think that the concept is, is accurate. The concept of, of people generally moving further out from the city is correct and we've definitely seen it, but it's not as drastic as just packing up and leaving and going two hours to a farm. It's been, um, it's been sort of in closer proximity. We've definitely seen lots of people changing their living arrangements to add an extra bedroom or an extra study or home office and, um, and also consider that in their buying decisions. Mm. Uh, more recently, we've seen a, um, a flight to quality on the investment side and looking for quality, but also sizable properties, um, knowing that the workforce is moving remote. Yeah. I know a lot of people say that you know the inner city areas might be less popular, but I think the the lure of smashed avocados in a very trendy cafe will always be there. What do you think, Stephanie? Yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. And and that's when I say to you, you know, I'm not seeing people leave um, leave you know Paddington or Willara in Sydney to go and live in Dubbo. We're not seeing the drastic um, the drastic changes to the country but we're definitely seeing moving um to to areas or new properties that are slightly larger yeah great stuff stephanie thanks for joining us always a pleasure peter have a great day same to you As stephanie davis investment director at wealthy well we know the property market has a few challenges and to see what's going on in the commercial space We've got Zilman Ainsworth from CBRE. He's Director of Investor Leasing, Retail Services Advisory and Transaction Services. Zilman, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Peter. Let's just start off with a, a basic question. What trends have you seen in commercial property uh, going on right now? So I look after retail leasing in Victoria for CBRE. Um, we're seeing a shift of owner's mentality from quick short-term development upside opportunities, more towards a shift of long-term income stream from stable tenants. I think people have stopped looking at properties of how to develop it and, and, and switch permits, et cetera, to how do I lease it and get a maximum stable income from this property. Um, another major shift we're seeing in the mindset of the customers that we have 
is there's been a shift to flight of quality. So a lot of retailers, landlords, and even banks are all looking to see how they can upgrade and uh, improve what they were having, what they had last year. So for instance, if a tenant was prepared to pay $100,000 for a shop last year, their expectations are they'll get something better for that money now this year, as well as buyers and even banks. So it's more long-term income and definitely a flight towards quality. So if, you, if we look at some of the, the big shopping centers, um, uh, is the expectation that because of the new experience of online purchasing, these properties are not worth as much as they were a year ago? I'm not going to have a position or an opinion on values of shopping centers. I just lease shops for a living. Mm. Um, there's certainly been a shift in the way customers are spending their time, money, and their journey through the retail um, uh, experience, where online and in-store play almost an equal role in a customer's purchasing decisions and journey through it. So for an online retailer who doesn't have a store or a store that doesn't have an online platform, mm. you're probably leaving something on the table. Um, the ones that do it properly on an even platform and have what's called an omni-channel, they're certainly seeing the best of both worlds and riding out any waves that come their way. The value of the shopping center is that's not something that I can answer to you. Um, probably a question for Nerit Economy, who's an economist. Yeah. But for a retail leasing agent like myself, what I could say is that there's certainly a shift in how customers are spending and and interacting with retailers. Therefore, landlords are adapting their real estate to ensure that they can capture that traffic and sales mm. in their centers and or shops. Yeah. So I'm trying to get my head around, you know, the, the kind of shopping precincts that do really well. And I know Saturday morning, uh, is it Smith Street in Collingwood? That, that place is packed all day. Uh, and I would have thought that, you know, having a, a, a well-located shop in a, a, sh a shopping strip like that would be very valuable. But is the, the value of these properties, have they gone up or gone down in a, in a, a shopping strip like that? Again, I, I don't really want to talk to values of properties. Um, again, it's not really my specialty. But what I could tell you is that our strip retail leasing business has never been busier than we have been this year. Mm. We're finding that with people being at home trying to support the local retailers and just hanging around a five kilometer radius in Victoria, as it is now, mm. um, of their homes, they're certainly supporting and frequenting their local retail strips. So we're seeing a lot of retailers in these strips that previously didn't have the easiest time are now really enjoying the benefits um, as, as strange as that might sound, mm. of how the rules and regulations and the behave, customer ch uh, behaviors have changed. Um, rents in the strips have been pretty consistent for the last couple of years. Uh, we are seeing major shifts and changes in the types of retailers, but the strips that work the best are the ones that have a theme. So like you said, if you want to wake up on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning to get a coffee and breakfast, that Smith Street precinct of Collingwood is a pretty good place to go that you'll have a variety of high quality options and you know that what you're going for will be delivered at your satisfaction, to your standards, I should say. Um, strips that really are just a mixed bag of anything and anything that the landlord can get, they're the ones that are probably struggling more than the others because they don't really talk to or, or attract a specific customer base or type of product offering that shops that, that other precincts might. And productive shopping centers are exactly the same. When they focus on a particular customer quality, service or offering, 
they're the ones that really can take advantage of, of driving more traffic than others. Okay, so what's the inquiry level like for investors to invest in those sorts of shops that you lease? Investors to invest as in retailers? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm thinking landlords who want to buy a shop to then lease it out for income. Yeah, so we do have a lot of inquiry from landlords that are calling us um, where their properties have a lease expiry, where the tenants stop paying rent, or they've been notified that their tenant wants to exit. Hmm. Um, there's, um, it's pretty safe to say that the vacancy level in Victoria, at least, is going to be increasing. Um, and it's going to be a supply-demand issue. The more supply than there is demand is going to affect prices in a negative way until that, that shift goes back to an even balance. But uh, we are talking to landlords on a very regular basis on how to maintain their income levels in their property and minimize any risk for vacancy. So, yes, we are on the phone a lot um, within restrictions, and we're using virtual meetings like this one to stay connected with our customers to ensure we can give them the best possible service advice, information, and data that's available to us. See, at the moment, particularly in Victoria, there's a 5K limit. So, therefore, if you're limited by 5K, your local shopping strip becomes far more important than ever before. But what's the expectation when Victoria, you know, approaches normalcy, at least normalcy in a coronavirus environment? What, what then happens to that shopping? Do you think the, the consumers will stick to the local area or they might go back to their old ways? So personally, I could talk for my, myself, my wife, and my family. We can't wait to leave our five-kilometer radius. We've paced every single centimeter of that five <laughs> kilometers over the last couple of weeks. But um, you know, I, we certainly become more accustomed to getting to know my local retailers, um, them getting to know us, our preferences, which made the shopping experience a lot more convenient. But a lot of those, back to that question before, a lot of those strips that maintain some form of theme and proposition where they know who their customers are and provide the best possible service, they're the ones that are going to be successful all the way through. The retail fundamentals have not changed. It's all about convenience and customer service. You can provide that anywhere at any time and customers will come. But if you don't have those two key elements to retail, convenience and customer service, you can have the best corner of the best town. You probably won't do much business. So mm -hmm. will habits change? I think anyone that gives you some decisive predictions as to what's happening in the future, they're just making it up because as Daniel Andrews keeps repeating, there's no rule book to any of this. So we don't know what will look like next week, next month, or next year. I'm very optimistic. I am a real estate agent and I am in property and I do believe that um, re there is a future for retail. It might be look a little bit different and feel a bit different and probably be enhanced and improved from what we remember it. Um, but I certainly do believe that a lot of local retailers are being supported by the customers and the customers are being supported by those local retailers. And that relationship will continue on, which ultimately will affect rents and then values. And uh, that supply demand that we spoke about will be balanced out to a point where rents will go back to those levels that we've been enjoying for the last 10 plus years. Yeah. Uh, one last question, mate. And I know it's not necessarily your domain or um, speciality, but uh, retail REITs have, have really copped it because, let's face it, retail has copped it as well. Um, what, what do you think the outlook is for retailing generally um, and, and then as a consequence, those, those big trusts that invest in retail outlets? Sure. So I prefer to use the word transitioning and changing 
um, retail environment than copying it. I think retail is evolving and has been evolving for a long time. And I think it's only going to get better from here. Um, I don't think copying it would be appropriate to describe it. But nevertheless, back to I'm a simple retail leasing agent. Um, my views and predictions on REITs is something that I don't have any. And probably, again, talking to someone like an economist, like an economist, we would have a lot more views. One thing I could tell you is there's a lot of changes happening to the retail environment. And a lot of these major institutional companies, both backed by publicly listed companies, superannuation funds, and even private families, are definitely looking at their retail assets of how to improve it. That hasn't been done for a long, long mm. time. Some of these assets, some of these assets, have been lazy assets that just sat there, collected rent, maintained a pretty low vacancy, and returned a pretty good dividends to their owners. Now we're seeing owners rolling up their sleeves and getting creative. What can we do? How do we attract more people? What gets more sales? What do we keep our... They're now starting to call their retail tenants their customers. So landlords are calling their tenants customers, which is a great shift to where the market's going. And they're looking to see how do we partner with our customers to give them a better platform to service their to their service their customers which will ultimately improve the rent sales and rents and valuations so what the future of REITs are you got to ask someone a lot brighter than i am but the future of retail looks very positive because people are spending a lot more time and effort and energy to improve that experience in all levels and all elements and for someone that's on the cold phase of it that do talk to a lot of retailers and a lot of landlords every single day i'm very excited about what the future has to hold and I think Australia is going to see a great improvement on that entire uh, landscape of retail, both in high streets, CBDs, and in shopping centers. So, Ainsworth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, so our occasional catch-up with Paul Mirren, who's a co-founder of M Square Capital, we always like to see what he's seeing at the coalface in terms of property. And somewhere along the line, we will get the property prices. But let's just kick off and say, g'day, Paul. How are you? Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Um, let's start off with something that must be a problem for the Victorian property market, the mm. Melbourne scenario. What's happening there from your point of view? Well, look, they've had a very extensive lockdown. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult, it's very early days to see whether that extended lockdown will have permanent uh, economic damage. But um, I think I was telling my wife just this morning, mm. you're walking, uh, our office is in Bonner Junction, we have two offices. Mm. If you're walking around in Bonner Junction, you ne never even would think that we've had a pandemic. Yeah. And, and I can't, my heart goes out to the people in Melbourne as mm. well, because if we think back to when we were in a, in our lockdown, um, at the at the middle of it, you'd be quite stressed and you know quite pessimistic in yeah. relation to the outlook yeah. as well. So, look, if if we if we compare how we've come out of the lockdown and and how our economy is is, is come back, mm. especially in Sydney and the rest of Australia, I think the trajectory will be very similar to what has happened. Okay, you. When I first started talking to you, always said you concentrated on the East Coast. That's right. Do you have any Melbourne projects? We don't have any Melbourne projects. Mm. Um, the difficulty with this uh, um, having the borders closed, one of our policies is before we, and we love Melbourne and mm. we love Brisbane as mm. well, but one of our policies is that we have to go and have a look at the asset ourselves. Yeah. Um, if, if one of the two directors aren't able to do so, mm. unfortunately we can't participate in those two markets at mm. the moment. So. Mm. The minute that those borders are open, we would love to have uh, more Melbourne opportunities and Brisbane opportunities on our books. Mm. The job story, what's it telling you in, in terms of its implications for property? Well, in the beginning when, uh, of the pandemic, 
Now I think we can recall both RBA and the Treasury estimated that the, the jobless rate would be close to about, or unemployment rate, close to about 10%. Yeah. The last figures for last month were quite promising in mm -hmm. the respect that we can see a trend now going uh, that jobs are being created. Mm -hmm. There was 110,000 jobs being created approximately mm -hmm. yeah. in last month. Yeah. And, uh, and the official unemployment rate has actually gone down mm -hmm. from 7.5 to about 6.8. 6 6.8. Yeah, so yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, so it's the kind of trend we hope can be sustained. If it does, sure. does it make you clearly more optimistic about um, price movements 2021? Look, quite interesting, and if people go back and listen to what we've been saying every month mm. and, and, and the articles that we've been writing as well, we always had a strong belief that property prices would not fall more than 5%. Mm. And in fact, if you look at the data uh, over the last two, three years, a lot of the, you know, we don't have an oversupply of property. Uh, we have lower interest rates. So I think right now the Reserve Bank and Treasury are doing a fantastic job. They're creating so much liquidity in the capital markets to allow banks to offer home loan rates mm. at, at you know 2.3 percent. You can fix your home home loan for 2.3 percent yeah, for three years. Extraordinary. For three, that's extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. So I think the 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 combination of those elements is a lot of upside risk in relation to property that's never actually followed through. So if the jobless rates and the trend continues. Mm just like what Bill Evans said just last week when he revised his uh, um, estimate, hmm. that he could possibly see the property market going up by 15% over the next two years. Yeah, uh, I must admit, when I read your report and I, I had to uh, you know, take a double tag. Did yeah. he actually say that? Yeah. I hope you haven't been drinking too much. No, right? no, I, I, I researched it. I listened <laughs> to his report. Yeah. I was very impressed. It was mm. very well articulated. And uh, for viewers who want to have a look at that even further, it, there's a really good strong argument why property prices can go up by 15%. So, mm. what, what, what do you think was the strongest part of that argument? Look, the strongest part of the argument, well, in my, my personal opinion, opinion yeah. my personal opinion, yeah. is that you just need to look at the cost of capital. Mm. So, you know, it, it, uh, affordability and the way that the psyche of the, the normal household works mm. is that they're prepared to spend between 34% and 40% of the after-tax dollars to what asset? Mm. to the mortgage. Mm. And so if you're making mortgages cheaper, they have more money to spend and therefore it actually pushes the prices up. Yeah. It's a very simple analysis mm. um, and because of the, what, what has happened over the last three, four years, and last month I, I came on your show, which was, which I think was a quite interesting conversation, mm. we were talking about the last time the property actually fell was not because of the dynamic of the market of oversupply or unemployment or any of the normal reasons mm. why market goes down. It was only because regulation was in place. It mm. was purposely done. And now we hear this week, which is quite fascinating, that Friedberg is saying, you know what, let's, let's take a little bit of a deep breather in relation to putting any more shackles on the banks and being mm. able to lend money as so well. So the end of responsible lending, um, some people might think, is this the start of irresponsible lending? Yeah. It's, and it's obviously not. No. Um, but I guess what you're arguing is, if banks can say yes more easily, yeah. that's another plus yeah. for demand actually meeting supply, and that should stop prices from falling terribly, and probably will uh, raise prices, particularly in suburbs where there's uh, big demand. Well, I think the critical argument there is, for the 1% or half a percent of the small fraction of society that do the wrong thing, everyone else has to pay the price. Mm. And I think it's, uh, 
you know, you got Philip Lowe basically saying, I think the pendulum has actually gone too far in blaming the banks when there's bad, bad debt. Yeah. So there's a balanced approach here. Mm. It's, I think there's a balanced approach where borrowers really need to take more due diligence and take responsibility for borrowing money, yeah. and the banks need to have a better culture in relation to lending money as well. I should throw in that Philip Lowe is the governor of the Reserve Bank. Yep, sorry. And that's right. <laughs> and, and a lot of people aren't as smart as you when it comes to money. Yep. He is a very important money he's, man. And he's a very smart person yeah, as well. But yeah, but he also did throw in that it, it beggars belief that every time a borrower is in trouble, it's the bank's fault. That's and right. that's basically what res responsible lending is implying. And he says he knows it's holding back the economy. Yep. Uh, all right. Now, I thought what I'd love to finish off with is um, you reckon that there's a, at least six questions someone should ask themselves if they want yeah. to be a property investor. Yep. Now, the kind of people who go to your business, just explain, That's right. you know, not, not sure what your business does. See, it's a very good question. There's so many different ways I can answer it. But just, essentially, just a simple one. Th right? I'll, try to, I'll try to do it as simple as possible, Peter. Yeah. So essentially, uh, we have a whole bunch of investors mm. that uh, trust us and understand, we understand their risk profile. And mm. what we do, we talk to them very regularly and we match up their risk appetite and what they want to see from us mm. to the market. So we find borrowers mm. uh, with specific criteria they need mm. and we ma match up with our investors. What's the classic kind of borrower then? Oh, look, this month we have a, uh, a very interesting transaction. We're just settling today. Um, we have a, an existing borrower with our business. He borrowed money against a Vaucluse asset. He's a developer. Mm. Um, we don't take any construction risk. Mm. And he hates construction loans altogether. Mm. He absolutely hates it. So what he does, he finishes a building. It's unencumbered. So he's done a Vaucluse property. We'll give him a mortgage against that. He takes the cash out and he goes and does another project. Mm. Once he finishes the other project and it's completed, there's no construction risk, right. he's getting rental income from the apartments, we will then remortgage it. So um, that's the type of borrower that we're doing uh, at the moment, today. Mm. We're settling that facility. Um, we're, not, we're not exceeding 65% against the value of the asset that we're taking as security. Yeah. So if his place is worth a million, you, you wouldn't lend any more than 650000 Yeah, Absolutely, and that's, that becomes our security buffer. So, mm. look, in any uncertain time, if the property market does fall, mm. okay, and the borrower is unable to pay us, we know that we can sleep at, our investors can sleep at night knowing that they have that security and yep. we can recover their principal and interest at any point of time. Okay, so do you remember these six questions or do I need to prompt you? Oh, I'll try, I'll try my best. I did okay. put in my article, but yeah. look, they're, they're very, they're very basic in their respect mm. the, um, and they're very simplified. So, so whenever anyone is considering any investment, mm. whether it's into our mortgage fund or whether they're buying a property, they have to actually think about the business case. And so the reason why I wrote this article, because what we've, what we've noticed in the market at the moment is because people all of a sudden realize, oh, the property market is not going to collapse. Mm. And so we've seen this significant capital inflow into other asset classes. Mm. And one of them is our asset class mm. as well. We had a fantastic month last month for two reasons. We were able to deliver $36 million worth of mortgage opportunities to our investors. But more importantly, we had $20 million of funds uh, that we were managing came back. Mm. And obviously, I, I take different people in different... So they are like borrowers who oh. pay back their loan? Borrowers who pay back their loan. And then we... So personally, what I have done in that particular month 
Uh, there were 52 investors in that $20 million mm. packet of three different facilities that came back that particular month. I personally called up every single investor. Said and that brings me a lot of, you know, mm. the, it's, it's a good phone call when you're calling up uh, an investor saying, Mr. Smith, you invested in this particular transaction. The borrower paid back in time on the right date that we were expecting. And uh, just to let you know, these are the opportunities that you have right now. You have three or four different opportunities that we're currently running. Mm. Um, there's X amount of money coming back. Interest is paid monthly. Which one would you like to participate? Yep. What information would you like to see? And how do you want to see the credit? So whether you want to see a two-page uh, executive summary or a 150-page worth of due diligence that we've done on this particular borrower. Mm. The questions that we ask is those questions that I put in the article. Okay, let me run through it quickly. So first of all, you say you've got to understand the investment. Absolutely. Next one you say, there has to be a business case for it. And sure. you think a lot of people just are looking to park their money somewhere to get some kind of return and they don't think about the business case. Absolutely, and because what's happening right now, I think that is one question that people don't ask. Mm. Because what happens now, we've gone from fear of losing your capital and sitting, sitting and doing nothing, not mm. participating in the market, yeah. to an emotion will change now of fear of missing out. And the, the one thing that logic just goes out the window is asking one question. Mm. I'm investing my money. What is the structure? Mm. How safe is the structure? How does it work? Yeah. And most, peop most people can't even say how the investment works. Yeah. If they can't answer that simple question, they shouldn't do it. Do they it. invest on basic gut feeling? And, Absolutely, and an emotion. Can, and that's when they can and be hoodwinked. And, and that, is, that is really critical because we can see a change in sentiment in relation to many asset classes right now. Yeah. And now is the time to be very diligent. Yeah, one important one here you've got, does it make commercial sense? And I think you've covered that anyway. Yeah. But also, what's the security being offered? And that's an important part for your yeah. operation, isn't it? Because sometimes the story of why you should invest is so great, mm. you don't ask the second question. Mm. So what happens if, if the, the story of the business case that you told me won't work? Yeah. What do I have what to follow What if a pandemic about? comes along That's right. and there's no job keeper? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, because we're a little bit different, okay? We are a secured lender. Mm. So no matter how good the story is, why you need my money mm. as an investor, yeah. you want to borrow from me, I need to make sure that I have security. Mm. And so we're, you know, we all have banking backgrounds in our, in our mm. business and we always look at the worst case scenario. Yeah. And you're saying basically if it's 65%, uh, house price may have a fall by 35% before you're in a little bit of trouble. That's right. You still get, you still be able to sell it. Yeah. But, but it'd just be that, that but bit, bit scary. But 35%, that would be the Great Depression stuff. Yeah. And it's not just any security. Mm. It has to be a quality secur security, mm. non-specialized, on the Eastern Seaboard. We don't generally do anything out of metro areas. Mm. We don't want land. We don't want, we want things that actually can sell quickly if we have to recover it. Okay. So to sum up, if you're giving advice to a family member mm -hmm. who said, you know, I want to be a, a property investor right now, what would you say? Look, there's plenty of opportunity, but doing your research is very, very important. So um, look, we can see a lot of green shoots coming up through the market right now. Um, not every single area or suburb or single asset will do well. Um, and look, you know, you have to weigh up your, your, your risk profile. And mm -hmm. so no matter where the market is, and I think I've come onto your show previously, no matter where the market's going up or down, there's always opportunities in the market mm -hmm. and you need to be able to find them, assess and understand risk. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. That's Paul Merrin from M Squared Capital. Thank you.